Welcome to the Personality Psychology Podcast. I am Rene Matus, and today I'm joined by Whitney Ringwald, Guy Horseman, and Gabriela Harari. And we will be talking about personality states. This time, not about personality traits, but states. And this is currently a very, very active and vibrant topic in the field of personality research. So I think this episode is very timely. First, maybe we do a little round of introductions and so you can introduce yourself to our listeners. And so maybe we start with you, Whitney. Yeah, hi. I'm uh, a doctoral candidate at the University of Pittsburgh in the Department of Clinical Psychology. So I kind of study the interface of personality and psychopathology, and in particular, how the that relationship plays out in everyday life, oftentimes using intensive longitudinal methods like EMA and that sort of thing. Yeah, hi, um, I'm Gabby Harari. I'm an assistant professor of communication at Stanford, and I lead the media and personality lab there. I I'm a social and personality psychologist by training, but I kind of always studied everyday expressions of personality through the lens of technology and media. So I found my home in a communication department and it's been very fun. And I've uh, mostly done work on personality states in intensive uh, longitudinal studies where we're kind of always like wondering what's the best way to assess personality states and then uh, trying to think about ways that we can link it to um, behavioral data collected from mobile sensing uh, methods. Uh, my name is Kai Horstmann. I'm a junior professor currently at University of Siegen, and my background is in psychrometrics. So um, I have used personality state assessment a lot in experience sampling studies, and my main interest is, interest is in uh, their reliability and validity and how we can estimate actually reliability and validity of personality states. And uh, nowadays, I'm shifting a little bit more towards the question, what can we learn about personality trait assessments from personality states? So what do they tell us what other measures haven't told us yet? Okay, so let's talk about personality states. I mean, most people and especially listeners of this podcast know about personality traits. But what are personality states then? And how do they differ from personality traits? The kind of standard answer is that personality states are the kind of state level expression of a personality trait. And so I think maybe the differentiating factor in that definition would be the time limitedness of it or the globalness of it. And I would also argue for the contextual nature of it. So when we think about personality traits, it tends to be more decontextualized, global across situations, whereas personality state is usually in relation to at least conceptually, in relation to specific context. But why do you call this personality states? Why couldn't they be just psychological states, for example? They need to be conceptually linked to personality traits. One way is to say they are caused by traits. That is a very strong uh, position. And the other way would be to say um, they fulfill a need for personality traits. So the personality trait, if you want to say that this is something that's in a person, they need to be conscientious or they they have the the desire to have uh, orderliness around them, then cleaning up is one of their states and it's caused by the traits that's um, in the person. I'll, I'll just add on. So I, I had the same definition as Whitney, you know, when people, when someone asks what a personality state is, I also reply that it's like the person, the manifestation or expression of the personality dimensions in daily life or in short-term moments. Um, kind of going back to what Kai is talking about though, I think that's something that has kind of always 
been a conceptual issue that, that we've discussed in our research group and with our collaborators is at what point when you're measuring a state, whether it's like a behavioral state or an emotional or an affective state or a cognitive state, does it have, you know, can you now say that it's a personality state? And so does it have to represent all three aspects in order to kind of really reflect the trait, the relevant trait dimension? Um, like in the case of extroversion, if you're just measuring how talkative someone is, is that really reflecting their extroversion trait or is it just a behavior in that moment? And I think um, Whitney's point about it being contextualized and that the, the situation or the, you know, taking account the context is also very relevant for when you're thinking about really what is a personality state expression versus the trait, like more global trait. It's, it's one way of saying this, the personality state is how people are different from what they usually are uh, at any given moment. And if so, is this particularly relevant for clinical context, for example, which is witness background, where this is a temporary circumstance where people are a little bit different from what they usually are for one reason or another? Well, it's interesting that you that you instantly go to thinking of pathologizing it, right? Because we could think of like a moment where we have an increase in a personality state that's really adaptive. Um, so for example, it could be someone who's low in extroversion and they have a, a personality, high state level extroversion in order to do well at their customer service job, for example. Um, and also, so I think that in, in some ways that we need to think about it both from adaptive and maladaptive, but I think also to your question of thinking about states maybe and how it relates to being different from your normal self um, is kind of like the time scale. So when I think of a psychopathological state, I would think of that as being maybe on the duration of, you know, days or weeks or even months of being like, say, in a more neurotic state than usual versus um, I think personality states probably fluctuate within a day or from moment to moment, or like in every situation, my personality state is differing a little bit, but that wouldn't necessarily, I think, qualify for psychopathology at that point, or like a clinical state, um, more just a momentary response to the situation. We have to go back to the trait definition. So what is a trait? If you look at the definition of a trait, it says it's consistent uh, pattern of thinking, feeling, and behaving. So it's the pattern of whatever it is. But every one of us uses uh, single trait assessments as the trait. So we just have one number in a, in a data set. Actually, you could say that if you assess states repeatedly, what you're actually assessing somehow is the personality trait in a way. In all of our models, I think, that we're using, whatever personality trait model, like the personality trait has a consequence. Technically, the trait doesn't really do anything, right? the trait is not relevant for anything. It's always its expression. So it's always the manifestation of the trait. Just because you have a 3.5 on conscientiousness, you're not going to be more healthy. It, you're just going to be more healthy if you enact the conscientiousness behavior uh, by preparing your food, going to the gym and so on. So I, I would say if we approached it now, maybe we could even get better trait descriptions by not assessing personality traits in a, in a one-way assessment. What you're doing when you're asking a participant uh, how conscientious they are. So we hope that the participant is doing the state assessment across the last weeks or years or whatever. So they are doing this averaging across many instances of whatever we assume the, the trade to manifest. Well, it probably is not the case, but this is our approach to trade assessment. So maybe the states would be the real trade assessment. I will 
push back a little bit here and, and say, for most people intuitively, when we talk about personality, this inherently implies something stable about people, right? And then now we're talking about personality actually going up and down uh, multiple times in a day, uh, according to the situation. Isn't there any contradictions in that? And so I guess what comes to mind when I hear this question is, is like, what is it that we're actually assessing when we use a trait or a state measure? Because you know, when we fill out these trait measures and we're asking participants or, or you know, people as they go about their day to, to respond to how they're thinking and feeling and behaving, you know, some might argue that like these trait assessments are really capturing self-views, which are you know, the people are reflecting on their pattern of thinking, feeling and behaving. And so I have this view that I am an extroverted person. So I'm going to always reply up four on the five point scale. Whereas um, when we do the state, I think when we're doing, trying to do personality state assessment, even if we're using self-report measures, oftentimes the actual items are quite behavioral or more, you know, um, they're they're kind of like more of the con consequences is not the right word, but like the behaviors that are associated with that trait manifestation or that trait expression. And so then I think that you get variation. We might be getting more variation in part because it's not necessarily tapping into their self-views. It's also just actually reflecting what were you doing today or what were you doing during the past hour? And so something about the self-view versus like the behavioral assessment or or if you're assessing thoughts and feelings at the state level, that that, that just naturally varies more than a person's um, perception of their, of their trait standing. It sounds like you're saying, Gabriella, that the primacy is on behavior when thinking about a personality state for you. So it's, it's not, but I think it, um, I think when I first started, you know, working in this space, uh, oftentimes in the literature, people would equate, almost equate in their writing personality states with behavior. And, and then when you would actually look at the methods section and the measures, they were using, um, you know, items adapted from the big five trait inventory, which does have like self-reports of behaviors, of course. So, you know, you might be trying to assess extroversion state and then the the item that was used was I was talkative in the past you know hour or fifteen minutes or in the past day, um, and so oftentimes I, I remember I struggled a lot with that initially about like what is a personality state if in the in our writing we're often talking about you know concrete behavioral expressions of the trait as opposed to the you know trifecta of thoughts feelings and behaviors when we're assessing assessing states. So my own, my own view would be that it's actually the pattern of all three, but it's, I think, hard to assess that in practice. So sometimes we use what we, what we can. Um, I think that makes sense for how we would measure. It. And I think that may be how people conceptualize states often, I guess I would see the kind of unifying component of trait states and kind of how we explain there's variability in behavior is the kind of like multifinality of behavior. And so the same overt behavior could reflect, be a manifestation of a different underlying trait depending on um, the motive so or goal of the situation. And so I think that, you know, being talkative could reflect conscientiousness. Again, going back to this example of like, if it's in a situation where being social is gonna get ahead in the workplace versus it's because I wanna socialize we would say, oh, that was an indicator of state level extroversion if we're not capturing the motive. And I think that's why understanding the context is so important because it's that pairing of the behavior and the thoughts and you know everything in addition to the context in order to really understand that motivational piece. 
That's so hard to measure. <laughs> so one way to think about the trade state difference is that states are concrete manifestations of personality, which itself is stable. Is that so? Yeah, I would uh, I would consider a personality trait. I'm not sure who wrote this, but um, it's just a propensity to enact a certain state and um, or probability. So you have a probability to be uh, to enact or act conscientiously, but the circumstances are also relevant. And those people who have a higher probability will, in any given situation, have a higher probability of acting be, uh, conscientiously. For example, and I think there's no contradiction at all. Uh, it's just that. Sometimes it's just useful to have one score, for example, in our models or in a in a prediction or whatever. But it really depends on what you want to do with the score and uh, for which research question you want to use it and so on. And sometimes it's just very uh, well. A simple trade score is the best. Uh, you more some easiest thing to use, and it's everything that you need for your research question. So you don't need to go into the complex patterns and thinkings and behaving across situations. So this is a different way of thinking about this way. It's just a level of aggregation problem, right? Like in physics, you would see that you know, my, my table is here, physically here at the moment. It doesn't fluctuate. I see it. I put my hand on it all the time. But yet inside it, it has all these little particles and electrons that are completely unstable and just some probabilities of being at any given place. So the states would be the same of this kind of lower level of aggregation then. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It's very similar. Yes. Yeah, it's like, is, is the concept of a table useful at the level of a solid thing? Then yes. Or if we're, if we, if it's useful and what we're interested in is the molecules, then we don't need to think about the table as a solid thing. So similarly, you know, sometimes it's useful to think about traits versus states. We, we started getting into the measurement question of how to measure states and traits. Can you measure states in some other way than self-reports? I mean, for traits, we can use, for example, informed reports. We can have you know, my traits can be described by, by my wife and my mom, maybe, and my children. And, uh, and we can aggregate all these and get a better idea of my traits. But what about states? Can other sorts of data also be used? I think that uh, there is a future of in the research in this area where you could assess states um, using other objective forms of assessment. So obviously my uh, area is in mobile sensing methods or data that you can collect from a smartphone. I think that, um, and, and as I had a high level, most of the information you can get from like a person's digital records on their, from their phone would be, can be characterized as different behaviors or contextual information that are reflecting their physical activity or their movement. Um, like both of, of themselves and their body, like physical, like whether they're walking or stationary, but stationary, but also how they move through their environment. So from GPS data, of course, you can get a sense of what um, kinds of context they're in or what kinds of environments they're in or locations that they spend time in. But I think that at this stage, the, the research in this area is still in its infancy in, in psychology. And so it's like, we can get these behavioral assessments that we could, I, I would, be more comfortable describing them as like a behavioral state. You know, you're getting like a snapshot of what the person is doing, depending on the level of aggregation you're using. It could be at the daily level. You could even get behavioral tendencies if you aggregate out. Um, but I don't think there's, well, there hasn't been um, research that has really looked at how those states 
map on to existing trait models or existing trait dimensions or some work obviously linking mobile like behavioral indicators from mobile sensing data to the big five um, but even that there's you know maybe less than 10 st solid studies i think that are doing that kind of work and before we would actually have a measure that is like, oh, I'm capturing extroversion states at the trait expression, you know, from thinking of it as a trait expression. Um, I think I think a lot more work needs to be done in psychometrically in terms of thinking about what are these measures? What kinds of data do we need? Do we have to, you know, think about capturing multimodal forms of data, like merging accelerometer data about how physically active a person is with information about their social interactions? And does, you know, there's this whole question then of in-person social interactions that you might be able to assess from microphones versus like social interactions occurring through the smartphone. Are, are those reflective of extroversion? If you're like a person who texts a lot or or is texting in the moment, is that like an extroversion state manifestation? And there's just so much work to be done in that area. But I think until we, we get those um, initial descriptive studies out, we won't have like solid assessments on that side yet. I was going to just add that there has been work using informant reports for state level personality measures. We've published a paper looking at, it's not the canonical big five, but looking at state level dominance and affiliation and that, um, and having, you know, two raters report on one another's behavior during interpersonal situations. And we find that there's a, a significant correlation in affiliated behavior, but not dominant behavior, which could mean that there's more external manifestations of state level affiliation, which we could think of like agreeableness or versus dominance, which tends to be more of like an internal state, or maybe there's more variability in the sort of external behavior that goes along with the internal state of dominance. And I know that Los Abrams has a, a, a paper out right now looking at convergence of self-informant uh, reports of big five personality states. I think a lot of this work is kind of implicitly based on this assumption that we can still measure the states or, or describe variability in the states using the same underlying models that as we do for describing differences between people. But does it necessarily have to be so? Because, you know, when we always, we often know from other fields that these different levels of aggregation might have, might need completely different models and the associations between variables might be very different at different levels of analysis, like societal level and individual differences level and within individual variability levels and so on. So what do you think? Um, do you think eventually it will be the case that we can use the same models for describing personality states as we do for personality traits? I think it's a, at least a question that is currently very uh, very much discussed. Um, also see it uh, coming up a lot in reviews, for example. So far, we just don't know. I think that would be my first uh, response to this, um, but it's an open question. Let's assume we have the big five at the highest level. I mean, there may be other uh, taxonomies, but do we then need five factors to describe individual states? I think that's very practical. It's a very practical approach that will get us um, ahead because we can map average states then to the personality traits. It's one way of assessing the validity and so on. But we may approach this completely differently and start uh, bottom up with a new taxonomy of personality states using, for example, data from, data from mobile sensing, and we might come up with a completely different taxonomy. However, I would be very cautious to just approach this in a data-driven way. So if you just let the data speak, um, you might get 
very narrow uh, taxonomies for behaviors um, or for states more general, uh, but maybe they are not then that useful because uh, yeah, you can't map them into our uh, existing theoretical models of how personality works. So I'm not really sure what is the best approach. However, you cannot assess personality states using personality trait data. Uh, even if it's like longitudinal assessments of personality traits, I've seen these approaches and I, I think it stems from a little bit of a confusion of the word state because a state and latent state trait theory is a different thing than a state in our understanding. So you say we can't just use the same questionnaire we use for measuring traits and give a bit different instructions to people and say, hey, now we're assessing states. It's not just about the questionnaire, maybe it's even about the data. So if you use data from panel studies that will not get you at the within person variation as we think about it you may change the items or a little bit but then if you use very experienced undergraduate psychology students that have completed the trade questionnaire 500 times they will probably not think about their past behavior in the last two hours uh, when they respond to the survey they might just think about the item in the way they've always thought about the item inflating the correlation between for example an average state and a personality trait self-report which has also led me to the conclusion that I would say, for example, a very high correlation between a state self-report and a trade self-report is somehow strange, maybe not even warranted. Maybe if it's too high, we're, messing, we're measuring a wrong thing in the, at the personality state level. I was just going to add on to that and just say naturally kind of going back to a point that Gabrielle made about self-views is that we can't extract the person's self-views when they're reporting on their personality state. So they're drawing on their trait like conceptualization of themselves when they're reporting on a state always to varying extents. That begs the question, by the way, how do you validate the state measures? I mean, we have developed some ideas how to validate trait measures. We have some criteria that we have for extroversion, we we know that extroversion measure may be valid if we can see it predicts how many social interactions people have, how many friends they have, how many certain kinds of activities they, they have. But how would you validate state measures? The difference is what we're measuring changes across time. So we can now uh, take the methods from other um, disciplines and see if we can actually change what we're measuring. So for example, I could take an emotional, st emotional stability state measure and assess my students just before the exam and right after the exam. And if it changes, I know that whatever I have assessed changes in the way the theory would predict it. So we're pretty much a step closer to the validity. Um, we could do different approaches here that are uh, similar. So we, for example, we know how states might develop throughout the time of the day. So we would need to find a similar pattern in the state self-reports. Um, so we can be much more creative here than we have been with personal traits assessment, I would say. We've had experiences um, one or two times now with reviewers who, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're publishing papers in our, in our group, like over the past couple of years that are trying to do this like mapping of um, indicators from mobile sensing data to trait assessments from the big five primarily as a starting point and of big five states that are, you know, um, 
to be very transparent, they are items that have been uh, borrowed from the trait measures. And we just asked them, you know, during the past hour, or during the past 15 minutes, how talkative were you, how quiet, et cetera. Uh, when we're trying to, when we've been publishing this work, um, we've had both kinds of comments in the reviews where sometimes um, reviewers want us to treat the behavioral assessments from mobile sensing as the validation of the self-report measure. Like basically I've had arguments about both ways of being applied. So you could say that you could argue that um, if you see that a person who self-reports at the trait or state level uh, that they're high in extroversion, then engages in social behavior. And that's a validation of the self-report measure because you have a behavioral assessment, which is a great measure. You know, if we think that a person is, somebody says that they're extroverted or that they were extroverted in the past hour, and then they were engaged in talking or uh, making a phone call, then that's an, a validation of the self-report. We've also had the flip where I've been, we've been asked to use the self-report measures to validate the behavioral assessments because they're a novel method. And so uh, people will say, how do you know that this really assesses their, you know, social behavior, even if it's a, a log that I have, you know, it's an objective log that we are processing. Uh, and they'll say, can you use the extroversion trait ratings to validate your behavior, new behavioral measures? I think it's pretty common in psychology where, you know, it's not always clear what is the dependent variable and what is the independent variable. I think only the genetics folks are, are pretty pretty <laughs> immune to this problem because you wouldn't want to predict genes from personality traits. Whitney, what would you say, what have been the biggest achievements of personality state research so far? If you go to a conference or a journalist calls you up and says, okay, you know, you do this fancy research now, and what is the biggest thing you have found so far, generally as a field, as anything counterintuitive maybe has been found that we like couldn't predict beforehand? Maybe one of the biggest findings in terms of it's really laid the foundation of reconciling how do we have states and traits has been kind of Will Fleeson's like distribution of states and the fact that average levels of states do map onto personality traits because that's helped us maybe understand both traits and states. And I think, so the, I'm just going like, I think these really basic findings that we've had and the fact that there's even variability in personality states has helped us move the conversation about traits as being static things into thinking about them more dynamic and contextualized. And I think, and maybe a separate question would be what's been surprising. And I think by looking at within person associations, we've been able to see sort of counterintuitive or um, kind of reverse findings. So kind of going back to what Kai had said about conscientiousness predicts on average, you know, really all the good things, you know, long, live, long life and uh, low stress and all these things been in the momentary level it's a negative association. So when people are more conscientious than usual, we found that people don't necessarily experience less negative affect. They don't, they experience more work-related stress and more neuroticism in the moment. But on average, you know, it predicts all these good things. And so one way to interpret that is um, mechanistically conscientiousness. We'd think of the ability to kind of endure states that kind of aren't pleasant in order to achieve long-term goals. And so at the trait level, we see that, but at the state level is the only way we could really get down to that mechanistic um, conceptualization of conscientiousness. Are there any other findings that you would showcase as the big achievements of this field? I thought in a very similar direction as you did, Whitney, um, but 
first of all, I would say, well, the average state and the trade, they actually do not correlate as highly as we would expect them to. So, I mean, they correlate, but um, they don't correlate as highly as their reliability would allow for. So there must be something off. Uh, there must be information in the trade score that is not related to the state and vice versa. So what is this? I think that's something that we have seen the last uh, years. Interestingly, Will Fleason has been the one to post the theory that they should be correlated and then publish a paper where he's shown that they don't correlate uh, too highly. That's first thing. And second thing is uh, these effects that you mentioned, Whitney, uh, they are not just within person at the same level, uh, for example, in a different um, direction than they are between level, but also across time, right? So um, conscientiousness now may lead to even better or a higher positive effect tomorrow whereas it's related negatively right now, but at the between-person level, then, and so on and so forth. So what we take from this is, I think we're now approaching a field that is very uh, unmapped, so to speak. So we did a study on this, on these effects across time and within person, and we couldn't predict anything. Like We had no clue what we would expect because it was just too much, and uh, theories don't speak to this yet. And I think you, you raised another point that I think is generally underappreciated in the field. We really need to pay attention to the effect sizes as well, not just that things are positively correlated, because we can look at the same correlation, like 0.5, let's say, between the state averages and the trade scores. And, and on one hand, it seems, oh, they're really strongly correlated, because usually we have much lower correlations in psychology. On the other hand, you might say, hey, my theory would predict that they're much more correlated, and the reliability, as you say, would allow that the correlation is maybe like Point eight or something. So they are not really very highly correlated. So we really have to think about which way it is then. What are the greatest challenges maybe of this kind of research going forward? Like what are the next big things we need to sort out or you guys really need to sort down? I think you've been, uh, you've been discussing them already in various ways, but uh, if we pull all this together, what would you say? One big thing is coming up with if we want to continue using self-report measures for personality states is coming up with good measures from them for maybe from rather than just adapting trait measures. So assuming that the same adjectives that describe between person differences are going to describe within person states is just not a tenable assumption, I don't think. And we think we need to do a lot of bottom up work, sort of taking that lexical approach seriously and being like, okay, well, what what words would you use to describe your personality states and then kind of go from there and see if we can get states in that way? Because saying like, how often do I say, oh, I'm in a really um, perceptive state or I'm in a really creative state like that is so unusual, but that's not necessarily reflective of the fact that I am in general, I'm a highly open person. Um, so I think doing that sort of basic psychometric work and I think hand in hand with that is better assessment of situations. So we still haven't gotten really good at that. And I think Gabriella is really leading the charge on that in a lot of ways. Um, but in, you know, be it self-report situation, some diamond sort of thing, or more objective kind of disentangling stimulus from response is another important direction to go. Just to add on, I, I think my mind also went straight to like the assessment uh, challenge and, and also it seems like many studies focus on the big five as a starting point. And I think that makes sense because we have like a clear or, a, you know, relatively clear understanding of what we would expect based on um, all of the existing trait literature in terms of how the big five states might um, manifest. But 
there, it just seems like there's so, so much possibility and so much work that can be done to discover new models for explaining states or for describing states and then seeing what explains them. So like one open uh, question is if, you know, if we were to do a study from the bottom up using kind of a lexical approach, you know, what does that look like if you just were to to do these kinds of um, factor and analytic techniques with all the uh, adjective measures that you might have in that kind of larger inventory that aren't constrained by the big five trait model? And then how do you include um, these motivations or desires and then situations into those assessments and, you know, into the the state model of, of what that would look like. I think that is something that's a little bit overlooked. Like even if we look at the trait measures, um, it's, you, you know, you can kind of map things on to behaviors and thoughts and feelings, but it I, those trait measures don't seem that they've um, been conceptualized in a way that they're trying explicitly to also integrate emotions, which is missing often. And then also the uh, like situations and context because they're, they're aiming to be decontextualized. And so what contexts or what situations should be included, what measures um, should be used, because obviously that will also inform what the resulting solutions look like. So to me, it just seems like there's so many kind of initial descriptive studies that need to be done, both from a bottom up, but then also a lot of top down thinking about what, how do we make sense of this? And of course, the populations that they're studied in will, will change what the solutions look like. So many challenges. Of course, we need to develop those measures, but we also need to develop new benchmarks for the reliability and validity assessment of those measures. We probably cannot apply the same uh, standards that we have for trade measures to the state measures. I think one way to do this is to collect data as we do it and then share the data openly because there are other people who don't want to collect data, but they're very good methodologically and uh, they could use the data. So um, maybe this is a call to just publish your data, even if you're not sure whether they are good or not. But, but because over the long run, we can do then integrative studies, meta-analysis and so on, and figure out which states worked and which didn't work, or assessments worked and didn't work. Yeah, so I think the, the benchmark assessment of the, the criteria, what is a good state measure? Uh, when was it valid? They have to be developed. In the end, I'd, I'd like to throw two curveballs maybe at you and ask difficult questions. And one of them is like in personality trait research, one of the surprising findings, I think, has been how little cross-cultural variation there is in many things. People would predict much more variation. Yet one thing seems to be clear is that if we go and do these lexical studies in different places all over again, we don't often come up with the same trade model. So now, if we think about states, and I, I presume in the end we'd want to do the states models also in different places, not just in uh, in America or Germany or the UK. What do you expect people would find? Would there be more variation across cultures in how these state models work or maybe less? I would say uh, more variability just because of the, the role of context, because what is normative behavior in context is so different across cultures. So if punctuality reflects conscientiousness coming from a place of wanting to get ahead in America, in a Western culture, um, it might not reflect that in a another culture where that's not necessarily reflective of respect or something like that. And so even though the same overt behaviors are seen across cultures, it means something different. In trait models, we kind of smooth out these cultural idiosyncrasies quite a bit, but we couldn't uh, ignore them in, in state models. 
Uh, I think it also brings us back to one of the points we had mentioned at the very beginning that uh, the same behavior uh, can have a different meaning, just as you said, Whitney. And I think this is also a challenge because we have those, or we could even look for interchangeable behaviors. So being on time is, is respectful in one culture, but um, doing, I don't know, performing a different behavior is an indicator of respectfulness. Maybe we can find those interchangeable behaviors or that have a very different content, but we know from our data that they mean the th same thing. And, if, and the same for mobile sensing research, right? So charging my phone can be an expression of conscientiousness. So, um, but, but this might be a very interesting area for research because when we find this, we can integrate actually across a lot of populations, but also across measures and so on. Last question. What we really want to do in psychology, in my view, we want to do two things. We want to understand why people differ and describe this well and do this in a way that is actually human understandable so we can come up with models that make sense to us. On the other hand, what we also want to do, we want to predict how concrete individuals behave in specific situations. Do you think these two things are actually possible to achieve simultaneously so we can have both an understanding of individual differences in a way that makes sense and an ability to predict what specific individuals do in specific situations. To me, it often seems that these two things are in, might be in attention. Would you disagree? Do you mean that, um, like, are they possible to do, to explain and predict simultaneously, like from the same theoretical model or from the same assessment approach? Is that? Yeah, yeah I, exactly. We have um, the same model that accommodates both. Is that possible? Only if we find those interchangeable behaviors. Otherwise, if we have very narrow but accurate predictions, we can predict exactly when someone will get up from their smartphone usage, whatever. But it it's not indicative of their personality trait. Um, and if we have broader predictions, um, then, well, it might be less accurate, but it might be more useful. The question is, do we want to do this? I mean, in state research, we could do a lot of different things if we wouldn't care for our participants' privacy, right? So we have a lot of data that we could use, but maybe some of these state assessments are actually too close to the person. So maybe that's a question we should also start asking ourselves. The prediction of a, of a specific behavior, like I've seen a lot of that um as a goal and and empirically, you know, shown and kind of proof, I, I think of them almost like as initial studies or proof of concept studies because it's done with one sample. So who knows how how far it generalizes? But um, those are often the the work that I've seen where it's done successfully is often like modeling one individual's data. And so if you have, let's say, all of my focus on behavioral states because I'm giving a mobile sensing example. So if you have all of my behavioral states over the past week, and then you want to predict what I will do on Wednesday next week at 9 a.m., there are models and, and some initial studies that suggest you can do that relatively well because you already have learned my past behavior, but they're not about personality states or explaining inter-individual differences. They're very much about their predictions focused um, about predicting future behavior. And then they have kind of more applied goals in mind often with uh, trying to like deliver nudges or messages or marketing, you know, uh, applications that that focus on in the prediction. But I haven't seen very much um, that does both well at the same time. But I guess one context where this is really might be a burning issue is, is again, I think I'm going to witness territory now 
is clinical applications. And this is where we really care about individual people and predicting what an individual person might do in a specific situation and how they would react. If I were to talk to clinical people, they would that would be the kind of question they ask. Like, we actually want to predict individuals. Can you achieve that? I know there's a lot of work right now, especially using passive sensing. In fact, I'm, my dissertation is using passive sensing to predict binge drinking episodes, um, for example, or other, you could think about other high-risk states like self-harm or something like that. And uh, definitely the technology is not there. Uh, I think theoretically that would be possible, but there is just so much extraordinary variability in the things that lead up to uh, the decision to drink or the decision to self-harm, for example, that we would need to progress so much further in our measurement before we'd be able to do that. But I think in principle, that's something that we can do. And I think that we can move towards doing that. And it would be important to move towards doing that um, to the extent that we don't violate people's privacy and, to the, and they have their consent. But in a lot of these situations that we're talking about, these would be in an applied setting, someone would be wanting help. So I'd be wanting to have some help with my the problem that I'm having. And I want to get that text delivered right before or, you know, two hours before generally I would self-harm based on past behavior, for example. Monet, maybe it's um, possible to do like explaining differences within people <laughs> in a way that we can make sense of and predicting an individual's behavior with useful accuracy as opposed to between people. It'd have to be yeah, very ideographic. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's this fundamental dilemma between nomothetic and ideographic here. And for accurate predictions within individuals, we need very ideographic models, but that doesn't necessarily help with understanding individual differences really, in a way at least that we can humanly make sense of <laughs> and, and the other way around. So in, in many ways, the personality trait research uh, that focuses on differences between people and state research that focuses more on within individual variability. They can just happily coexist and have different priorities. Thanks for this discussion. I learned actually a lot. I've been wondering about many of these questions myself and didn't have a good answer until today, but I think I, I now have some of the answers. So thank you for coming to the podcast. It was great to have you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thanks so much. It was a ton of fun. Okay, so the official part is over now. I think it was a good discussion. And... I have a lot of questions, <laughs> follow-up questions. I know, so... I, had to, I had to like hold back a lot of like, yeah. don't dominate. I have so many I things like, to say. I was like, we need to have another Ask discussion. <laughs>